Isaiah 35. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome again, everyone. My name is Nathan Nelson. I'm the Associate Director of Mission and Outreach here at the church, and it's my privilege to be bringing the word to you this morning. Uh, this morning, as you've heard, marks the beginning of Advent, which, if you're not familiar, are the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And I don't know about you, but for me, when Advent comes, it feels a little bit like a disruption in the midst of my everyday life. Certainly the holidays, right? With parties and everything that comes, it just feels like this abrupt sort of point in the course of my everyday life. And I don't know about you, but perhaps this year more than ever, um, we look at the news and we see issues of uh, racism, uh, economic injustices bubbling to the surface. We consider the state of our world affairs. We heard the number of displaced people mentioned earlier in the video. And we can kind of ask the question, how in the midst of all of this are we supposed to tap into the joy of the season, right? Like, <clears throat> I was thinking about it, uh, I was feeling just maybe how some of you have totally the weight of all that seems to be happening in the world. And I thought, should I just kick back this weekend, turn on Elf and sort of let Will Ferrell transport me to like this Christmas comical nostalgia? Or should we just sit and, you know, dwell in it? And just dwell in sort of the groaning of our world. No matter what's happening for us personally, what's happening for us as a world community, as a community here in Seattle, every year, Advent comes. Christmas comes. And it's here. In many ways, the prophet Isaiah, who we're going to be looking at throughout all of Advent, reminds us that Advent is indeed intended to be this kind of divine interruption in our lives. 
See, the arrival of Jesus altered the entire course of human history, right? But before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah was given glimpses into who the Messiah would be and characteristics of the kingdom of God that Jesus would usher in. So these glimpses or snapshots, you might have heard Richard use the language of snapshots of the kingdom before, serve as sort of looking forward to the world that God designed for us. And so we're going to look at different snapshots throughout Isaiah presenting these characteristics of Christ available not only to folks long ago, but to us today. And how it is that we're called to usher in this sort of kingdom that God talks about through the prophet Isaiah and through all of scripture. So if you would join me, we're going to begin the series by looking at Isaiah chapter 35. We just heard it read, but before we do that, let's take a moment and pray together. Lord, what a gift it is to be present in your house this morning. Father, in the midst of beautiful art and other things, Lord, that point to you, and and most importantly, in the midst of community with one another. We ask, Lord, this morning your spirit would meet us here in the ways that we need it to. Father, beginning this Advent season with nothing less than that divine interruption in our lives. God, we pray that you would come now and interrupt even the course of our Sunday in such a way that we would remember this as a day that you met us, Lord, that we tasted your glory this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So our text from Isaiah 35 gives us a snapshot of God's salvation and restoration with three important declarations that we're going to look at this morning. So you've got a bulletin there with an outline in front of you, and these three declarations are as follows. First, that Christ makes a way in the wilderness. Second, that Christ weans us from our fear and frailty. And third, that Christ invites us to participate in the processional. So let's begin with this first declaration that Christ makes a way in the wilderness. And for context, in this passage from Isaiah 35, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah to a people in exile. And I don't know about you, but for me, it can be a little bit hard to conceptualize this notion of exile in our world today. Perhaps one of the most tangible ways of of beginning to think what was it like for people in exile so long ago would be to think about all of those displaced people today, refugees and asylees that have been forced because of persecution to flee their home country, and now they're waiting in neighboring lands with hopes of one day being able to return. But we can experience exile in all kinds of ways, even in our personal lives, as we feel a sense of being disjointed from uh, the, the way that things should be, the way that God would desire them to be in our lives. We know that Isaiah chapter 35 also originally likely belonged to a later collection of chapters in Isaiah 40 through 55, which would have been addressing an Israelite audience displaced into exile in Babylon. So its relocation to an earlier collection in Isaiah tells us that its particular location in the book is significant. So we're going we're to look at that together this morning. We also know it's an apocalyptic oracle, which is just a fancy way of saying it's a message from God to his people looking towards a future promise. So with these things in mind, let's, uh, let's, let's begin to look at this location within which we find Isaiah 35 in Scripture. What's going on? How does this context inform the promise of the future reality that God will bring. 
Isaiah 34, the chapter just prior, we see God speaking judgment through Isaiah for the nations. We see that the land is laid to waste, such that in Isaiah 34, 10, no one shall pass through it forever and ever. It's so forsaken and entangled that you literally cannot pass through the land. Isaiah 34, 13 tells us that jackals will inhabit the land. Maybe for us in the Pacific Northwest, like coyotes or something. The land will literally be called, Isaiah 34, 12, no kingdom there. So this is judgment, desolation, wilderness. And then as you turn the page to Isaiah 35, we're given an entirely contrarian view, parallel to the same kind of imagery. So Isaiah 35, 1, we heard it read, the wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom. Goes on to say that there'll be joy and singing. The jackals that we heard about from Isaiah 34 are now tamed in Isaiah 35. We read there's going to be a highway there. It'll be called the Holy Way. So the promise for the people of Israel in the midst of exile is that indeed there will be destruction for their oppressors, that God the Messiah will make a way for them from their current context of being totally, not only in the midst of oppression, but just feeling isolated from the very sense of who they should be, tied with their home, that God will do away with that. They'll be restored. Now, the interesting thing with this highway imagery for me, um, highways, I was thinking about highways a lot this weekend. Highways, they go both ways, right? So uh, you've got cars going one direction, going the other direction. I used to live in Latin America, and drivers in Latin America would often treat roads or highways as if they were one way. Um, I lived in Guatemala in, in a tiny remote village, and to get there you had to go over a number of kind of mountains and, you know, windy roads and all this sort of thing, and, and drivers would just fly. I mean, I would be on a bus, I would be in a taxi, whatever it may be, and you're just soaring down these roads. And then all of a sudden, another car would come, and you would, you know, veer really quickly off, and you would realize, oh, this is indeed a two-way road, right? And I think, in some ways, this is how Christ can work in our own lives, we're sort of going on our way, maybe uncertain of what's before us, uh, maybe anticipating jackals or, 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 or entanglement of some sort, and then all of a sudden, Christ shows up. And uh, I know this to be true in my life. When I was 10 years old, my parents told me that they'd be getting a divorce, jackals, if you will. When I was 20, I was leading a short-term mission trip in South America, uh, in uh, Ecuador, in the Amazonian region there, and very unexpectedly, we're um, with a, a group of locals and, and a group from the United States, and uh, we were swimming in a river, and uh, one thing led to another, and a boy uh, drowned in the river from this team. And uh, I was involved in trying to rescue him, and it uh, clearly didn't work out. And so, as you can imagine, in my life, thorns. 
Most recently, my father passed away very unexpectedly at the early age of 63. And I found myself feeling like I'm in a desert. These twists and turns in our lives are not always negative, right? For example, in high school, I got coerced into going on a mission trip with my mom. I thought I was saying yes to going partying in Mexico and margaritas. And instead, I got something very different. Uh, I came to know the Lord on that trip, and that's a big part of why I do what I do today. Down the road, and uh, went to SPU here, and uh, I had no anticipation of meeting anyone and, and getting married anytime after college. And sure enough, my second year, I ran into this lady named Mel- Macy uh, Eisenhower at the time, and it was evident to me she was not only the most beautiful person on the outside, but the inside. And I got married much younger than I thought. Unanticipated. The promise to us through the prophet Isaiah is that whatever circumstances life bring us, whatever happens along the way, Christ will meet us there, peaks and valleys. He'll interrupt the otherwise desolate or hopeless, sort of uncertain or simply unanticipated circumstances of our lives with peace, with joy, with companionship and restoration. I can tell you that in the wake of my father's passing, I've never felt so close to the Lord, genuinely. Grief absolutely hits me unexpectedly. The way that my father passed was rather traumatic, and uh, the trauma of that continues to trigger at times. But even in the midst of all of that, through relationships with people, uh, with counselors, with family, with friends, from many of you amongst the congregation, I've come to know a sense of just profound community and love and support in such a way that God feels tangible to me. And so while I don't believe that God necessarily dictates the circumstances of our lives, certainly not the suffering that we encounter, he does promise that indeed in the midst of whatever is going on, he will meet us there. Interrupting our pain with comfort, interrupting our fear with strength, interrupting our isolation with community such that whatever hills or valleys we walk or whatever wilderness we may find ourselves in, Christ is making a way not only for us, but in the same way that highways go two ways, Christ is making a way to us, pursuing us. I don't know about you, but I need Christ to come to me this holiday season to interrupt my places of brokenness, my hurt, the stagnation in my life. So that brings us to our second point for this morning, that as we encounter Christ along the way, Christ promises, declares that he will wean us from our fear and from our frailty. So this brings us sort of to the turning point or the crux of our text from Isaiah 35 this morning, which comes to us in verses 3 and 4. So I'll read them for you again, and this translation is from the NRSV. It says, Strengthen the weak knees, excuse me, hands, and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Now, At first glance, this language of vengeance and terrible recompense might be a bit troubling to us. Certainly, it's a bit odd. 
But there's a fantastic commentary on this passage that comes from Eugene Peterson, who recently passed. And he says that in God coming in vengeance means that God will decisively and completely uh, make right all that is wrong in the world. He will make right the story of our world. Now, this word recompense can be translated from the Hebrew to mean to wean, as in to wean a child from their mother's breast. And so for, the, for Christ to, to, to come with recompense means that he's going to provide everything that we need to make us whole and to make us mature. So for a child being weaned from their mother is both a joyous and a challenging time, right? Challenging, maybe even terrifying because that sense of innocence is gone, and joyous because now you're taking one more step towards uh, less dependence. And as we walk the highway before us, the promise is the same for us. Not that there will be innocence or perfect safety and security, that the road entails suffering and challenges as well as happiness, isolation and fear as well as companionship and success. The promise from the prophet Isaiah to the Israelites thousands of years ago in exile and to us today is that in the midst of our present circumstances, whatever they may be, Christ is not only with us, but shaping us to be people with the capacity to hope, to express joy, to extend welcome to others, and to participate with him in his kingdom work in the world. And I believe this is the beauty of the gospel. That by the presence of Christ in us, we can become something that we could never otherwise be on our own, right? I'm sure you, as well as I, have experienced this. That as Christ encounters us along the way, interrupting the wilderness of our lives, we're given the opportunity to respond such that our fear and weakness can be transformed to strength and to confidence. So I'll ask you, are you fearful this morning? Do you feel weak or unable to respond to the overwhelming sense of brokenness in our world today? And I can tell you if the answer in your head is yes, you're not alone. Prior to coming on staff here at Bethany, I worked at World Relief in Seattle, an organization that we as a church partner with. And I was involved in a variety of things there, uh, all of which related back to this idea of welcoming refugees and asylees, newcomers to our city. And I, when I was there, I uh, oversaw a program that's since been done away with, but at the time it was designed for Central American folks uh, who were claiming refugee status to be reunited with their spouses, with their children. And to me, this group of people just embodied this tension that the text is presenting us with between profound fear, literally fear for their lives, and incredible resilience, just an amazing uh, boldness and strength to be able to step into an entirely new country, restart their lives in many ways. Incredible. And like the Israelites in exile, refugees and asylees around the world are faced with both fear and yet many, of, many, many of them 
are responding in such a way that embodies this sense of hope. And so a group from Bethany, you heard about it, talked about in the video, assembled this thing called a good neighbor team not too long ago. And just about over six months ago, they began learning about the issue of the refugee crisis in the news and, and decided to come together. And what they would do through partnership with World Relief here in Seattle is create a team that would wait, prepare, and then welcome a refugee family. And so uh, just amazing stories have come out of this, but one which in particular I want to highlight for you this morning um, they received a family from Afghanistan. At the time, it was a family of three. They've since gone to be a family of four. They welcomed a new baby into the world here in America uh, just months after arrival, and the team was just incredible. They uh, formed kind of a, a meal train, and so they're providing meals and organizing play dates and, and outings for the family so they could get out, all that kind of thing, things that we would do for one another within our congregation, right? I hear of small groups doing this all the time. And... Uh, on one occasion, there were two men on the team that formed a really tight bond with the father of the family. And so uh, we saw in the news that there were some significant bombings in Afghanistan. And so they had contacted the father and said, you know, are you okay? How are you processing this? And as it turns out, the father had uh, extended relatives and friends who were killed by the bombings and affected in other profound ways. And so in that moment, they were able to, to have this sense of bond and, and the sense of community, even in the midst of what was something that many of us could never begin to imagine. And so this, this relationship that they had formed became, in many ways, a source of hope in the midst of that sorrow. So for refugees, do they experience fear? Absolutely. Oppression, persecution, Fear for their lives is a daily reality. For members of our community, we have fear as well. Oftentimes, and, and folks on this team express this, it's fear of the other. Fear of people that look different, sound different, different socioeconomic statuses, different religious backgrounds. And yet, as this Afghan father and the men from our team at BCC experience, strength and comfort was made available in the context of community that they'd formed together. And this is the ministry of hospitality entrusted to all of us. It's just one example from among our congregation of a group of people that, as they learned about the depth of not only what's happening that's causing people to be refugees, but once folks get here, the brokenness of our social service systems, all of those things, a loss of innocence happened, right? And yet, in the midst of that, as they were weaned from their innocence, so to speak, they were able to become a source of welcome and hope and strength for others. And it may not be through a program like this, but we're all invited to be weaned from our innocence and in so doing, strengthened to be something that we could not be on our own. To be hope, to be joy, to be peace. For high school students, it might be going to college, stepping out from home and, and into the next step in their future vocation. For college or graduate students, I know there's many of y'all here, uh, it could be finishing up and adjusting to working a full-time job and adulting, right? Or having children. As beautiful as it is, it can be challenging. It reorganizes your time and your priorities. I told you at the beginning that the location or the placement of Isaiah 35 matters within the book. So this, 
We're going to hop down to our third point for this morning, that Christ invites us to participate in the processional. We discuss the significance of Isaiah 35 providing contrast to the judgment that we saw in Isaiah 34. Critically, in the following chapter, Isaiah 36, and then subsequent chapters thereafter, it punctuates the message of Isaiah 35. So in Isaiah 36, we see a showdown of sorts between the king of Assyria and the king Hezekiah of Judah. Hezekiah says that the Lord God will deliver Jerusalem from Judah and from, uh, from Assyria's reign. And the king of Assyria challenges him and says, no, no one can defeat, me, can defeat me, not even the Lord. So here, God's power is put on trial. Can you make this salvation from Isaiah 35, this restoration of the land, come to fruition? So the question for Israel here is regarding the power of the Lord over oppression, over the Assyrians. And I mentioned that Isaiah 35 is likely relocated from an earlier collection in Isaiah 40 and 55. And the question there would have been, uh, in that context, the power of the Lord over the Babylonians. But regardless, the theme is the same. Can God overcome the oppression of our world? Do they believe that? Do we believe that? Interestingly, the quote-unquote holy way that we read in Isaiah 35, 8 is mentioned again a little bit later in Isaiah 43 in a very familiar passage to us that reads this. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So here again we hear it said that God will use a highway to come to his people. And this specific imagery in its historical context echoes that of uh, roads prepared by the Babylonians for processions of their gods. So critically, what the prophet Isaiah is doing here is he is stating that the procession of the true king, the Messiah, uh, will make a way through the wilderness, leading the people from exile back to the land. The Lord will return to Judah on a highway in a holy processional, leading his people from exile and oppression to freedom and to joy. Now, I don't know about you, but this notion of processionals is a little bit foreign to me, and I think to all of us in our culture. But I mentioned to you earlier that I used to live in Guatemala, and in Guatemala during Holy Week, the Catholic Church has a tradition of uh, creating these just extravagant processionals in the street. And so what they do on, on cobblestone roads and, and you know, cement roads, things like that, they decorate them with these beautiful, colorful sand uh, paintings and drawings on the road. And then there's uh, arches built with fruit hanging. And people come from all over the town, from all over neighboring cities. And, and, and literally, it's, it, some of you might know this, it's, it's, it's begun to be sort of a, a cultural wonder of the world. And people come from all over the world to see this. These beautiful processionals that are uh, to celebrate Holy Week. And so maybe that helps you give an image. What we're invited to uh, is, is to participate in a processional of these sorts, declaring that uh, the promise for hope for all who believe is indeed coming in the Messiah. 
The Lord God reigns. And the beauty of this declaration is that not only is it for a future hope, but it's an invitation for the people of Israel to enact God's kingdom here and now, to participate in the processional of God's coming kingdom. And for us today, we have the same invitation. That as we're transformed by Christ interrupting our lives, we're empowered to then in turn interrupt the brokenness of our world and usher in the reign of Jesus. And that's what Advent is all about. We wait in anticipation of the coming king, God with us, and we ourselves are reminded and encouraged by our calling to enact the kingdom here and now as we respond to Christ's revelation in our lives. We're a part of the story of God. And as individuals in a community, we are the embodiment of the hope of Jesus. We all have a role to play in making Christ's kingdom come on earth now as it is in heaven. Amen? And this is why I do what I do. I passionately believe that the church is called to exist in such a way in the world that indeed God's kingdom comes here now as much as it is in heaven. It's why I do what I do. You hear mission and that kind of thing mentioned in my title. It's, for me, it's simply about recognizing, yes, there's fear, there's oppression, all of those things, and we as the church have something to say about that. We as individuals in a community have something to say about that. So by way of application this morning, I'd like to invite you to consider the nature of the road that you're walking down today. Perhaps you feel isolated, like you're walking alone through sorrow, grief, or pain. Perhaps you're confronted with what seems like uh, a path before you uh, with, with diversion options, a fork in the road, and you're seeking guidance. Lord, where would you take me? Or maybe you feel like you've been uh, sitting alongside the road for some time now, and you're waiting for someone to come and, and pick you up and give you a reason to keep going. Maybe it's out of disillusionment with the church or, or just a sense of boredom in your life. No matter where you're at personally this morning as we begin this Advent and holiday season, the image of God through the prophet Isaiah of the Messiah coming toward you, Jesus literally walking toward you, pursuing you, that image is for all of us. He's seeking you out down the highway and laying down a way before you, making a way in the wilderness. Jesus desires to arrive in the midst of our current circumstances, interrupting the place of brokenness in our lives and inviting us to participation with him in the processional of the coming kingdom. And I don't know about you, but um, this holy processional of the Lord, to me, certainly feels um, foreign at a time like this. It doesn't seem like, you know, this beautiful procession of the coming kingdom of God is, is indeed happening. Uh, in my personal life, I mentioned to you earlier that my father passed recently and uh, been anticipating that the holidays would be a challenging time, and I was right. Uh, Thanksgiving just happened, right? And uh, in anticipation of Thanksgiving, I just began to get this feeling that I, I might not be able to do the traditional holiday thing this year. Um, 
my family has a tradition. My wife, Macy, and I, we, for the last several years, would drive down to Portland, where I'm from, and we would pick up my dad uh, from where he lived, and then we would drive out to the countryside where my cousin would host a Thanksgiving dinner. And it just dawned on me um, in the days before Thanksgiving, I just don't know that I can drive out to my cousin's house without my dad this year. And so uh, my wife and I made the really tough decision to just stay home this year and just the two of us uh, spend Thanksgiving. And I can tell you while that might sound lonely, Christ met us there in the midst of that. And uh, we decided we went and we got um, groceries for all the different meals that we'd either had before or like our families would never prepare and that we wanted to try. And we cooked a feast. We, they, we got like a, I don't know, a small turkey. I don't know what it's like, eight, six pounds or eight pounds or whatever. And we get to the checkout and they say, oh, well, you know, if you just go back right now, we're doing a deal where if you spend more than $100 or something, then you get a, like a 15-pound turkey. And I thought, what the heck are we going to do with a 15-pound turkey? Let's do it. <laughs> and we, still, we have turkey molding in our fridge right now. It's disgusting. Uh, but in the midst of what could have been a very lonely Thanksgiving, uh, not only did Christ meet us, but I, I experienced a sense of, of joy that I otherwise didn't know. Uh, we sat down to eat, and finally, you know, the emotions did hit me, and my wife was there and, and comforted me, and uh, she, 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 to me, embodied the presence of the Lord in that moment, and, and, and she was, you know, Christ's joy and, and comfort to me um, in the midst of all of that, and the reality is that I realized on a day of Thanksgiving where, where we want to give thanks that I was grateful. While I wasn't grateful that my dad passed, certainly not in the way that he did, I was grateful for the many people that are in my life and for uh, all the time that I did get with my dad. So I'll ask you this morning, where do you need Christ to interrupt your life during this season? As Christ encounters you, offering you the opportunity to be transformed, how might God be calling you, inviting you to participate in the procession of his kingdom coming in the world today? As we prepare in just a few moments to uh, respond in worship and the taking of communion, I'd like you to reflect on these questions. There's an outline for you in your bulletin and, and, and um, just a, a, a structure there that gives you a little bit of uh, help as you reflect. But the reality is that uh, not only does Christ desire to interrupt those places of brokenness in our life, but he desires to give us the capacity in being transformed that we can be agents of transformation in the world, part of the holy processional of God, ushering that into our world, making the kingdom a reality here in our world. And that's the beauty of communion. We're gonna take communion in just a couple of minutes. And when we take communion, we're claiming that reality of the coming kingdom. We're saying that, yes, Lord, in taking of your body, I need the strength to be something I couldn't be on my own. And I need the cup, your blood, the grace to participate in your kingdom of which I'm not worthy. And so, on the night that Jesus was portrayed, he took his body and he broke it. He said, this is my body, 
broken for you. Take in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Take in remembrance of me. So this morning, uh, we're going to worship in just a few moments with music and would invite you to, as the bread comes by, uh, take that on your own. And then if you would, hold the cup and we'll take that together as our sign of unity uh, in community with one another, but also our collective desire. To, to be a part of God's kingdom work in the world. And so uh, by way of logistics, you can, of course, um, here at the 8 o'clock, come and uh, count, go counterclockwise in your rows, help yourself to the elements, but please hold the cup, and we'll take it together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that indeed you desire to meet us. You desire to meet us in the midst of whatever circumstances may befall us in our personal lives or, or in our or in our world, Lord, we're mindful that we need to be interrupted. So be our interruption, we pray, God. Enter into the midst of our lives, God. Pursue us, help us to see that we're not walking a road alone, but you're walking towards us. Lord, as we see your face, what are the words that you'd speak to us this morning? We pray that we'd hear your voice, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.